Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday, of course, is the beginning of the sacred triduum for the Church. And Holy Thursday isn't just an ordinary Mass. We include the ritual of the washing of the feet, which of course won't be celebrated this year. But we still call to mind the tremendous humility of Christ who places himself the service of his disciples, who is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his flock. This Holy Mass is particularly important because it recalls the institution of the Eucharist and of the priesthood when Christ gave the command to his apostles to do this in memory of me. And Holy Thursday finishes by a procession of the Blessed Sacrament to the altar of repose, a sign of us accompanying Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and there praying with him. And so, to conclude the Corona of Thorns podcast, we will finish with a reading of the Gospel account of Christ's agony in the Garden, the beginning of his Passion. And now... Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us call to mind our sins. I confess to To Almighty God, God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who have called us to participate in the most sacred supper, in which your only begotten Son, when about to hand himself over to death, entrusted to the Church a sacrifice new for all eternity, the banquet of his love. Grant, we pray, that we may draw from so great a mystery the fullness of charity and of life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the first of all the others for you, the first month of your year. Speak to the whole community of Israel and say, On the tenth day of this month, each man must take an animal from the flock, one for each family, one animal for each household. If the household is too small to eat the animal, a man must join with his neighbour, the nearest to his house, as the number of persons requires. You must take into account what each can eat in deciding the number for the animal. It must be an animal without blemish, a male one year old. You may take it from either sheep or goats. You must keep it till the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the community of Israel 
shall slaughter it between the two evenings. Some of the blood must then be taken and put on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where it is eaten. That night, the flesh is to be eaten, roasted over the fire. It must be eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You shall eat it like this, with a girdle round your waist, sandals on your feet, a staff in your hand. You shall eat it hastily. It is a Passover in honour of the Lord. That night I will go through the land of Egypt and strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, man and beast alike. And I shall deal out punishment to all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood shall serve to mark the houses that you live in. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and you shall escape the destroying plague when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a day of remembrance for you, and you must celebrate it as a feast in the Lord's honour. For all generations you are to declare it a day of festival forever. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our blessing cup is a communion with the blood of Christ. Our blessing cup is a communion with the blood of Christ. How can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? The cup of salvation I will raise. I will call on the Lord's name. Our blessing cup is a communion with the blood of Christ. O precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful. Your servant, Lord, your servant am I. You have loosened my bonds. Our blessing cup is a communion with the blood of Christ. A thanksgiving sacrifice I make. I will call on the Lord's name. My vows to the Lord I will fulfill before all his people. Our blessing cup is a communion with the blood of Christ. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. This is what I received from the Lord, and in turn passed on to you, that on the same night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and thanked God for it and broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this as a memorial of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial of me. Until the Lord comes, therefore, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming his death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise and honour to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Praise and honour to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. It was before the festival of the Passover, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to pass from this world to the Father. He had always loved those who were his in the world, but now he showed how perfect his love was. They were at supper, 
and the devil had already put it into the mind of Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had put everything into his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And he got up from table, removed his outer garment, and taking a towel, wrapped it round his waist. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel he was wearing. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, At the moment you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Never, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus replied, If I do not wash you, you can have nothing in common with me. Then, Lord, said Simon Peter, not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said, No one who has taken a bath needs washing. He is clean all over. You too are clean, though not all of you are. He knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, though not all of you are. When he had washed their feet and put on his clothes again, he went back to the table. Do you understand, he said, what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and rightly, so I am. If I then, the Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. I have given you an example so that you may copy what I have done to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Over the last few days, I've been thinking particularly about the body and the importance of the body. You see, over the last few weeks, we've all been social distancing. We've all been limiting our interactions with one another. We've been trying to avoid unnecessary interactions so that we don't contract a contagion or pass on a contagion that we don't know that we have. And so we start to look toward the presence of others with a certain degree of suspicion. You know, whenever someone, you know, has a cough or a sniffle or something, everyone looks with a kind of combination of accusation and panic toward the person who's, who is clearly irresponsible enough to have come into our presence. But I think while that suspicion may be something that's growing, at the same time, I think we're also having a greater yearning for presence, for the body. In this time of separation, we feel the burden of isolation. And that great sense of absence, I think is for us also a sign that we've been created for each other's presence. And it's here that the body is at the centre. I want to quote to you something that John Paul II wrote as part of his uh, cycle of catechesis that's come to be known as the theology of the body. This is what he said. The body, and it alone, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the invisible mystery hidden in God from time immemorial, and thus to be a sign of it. Now, JP2 has never been easy to read, and he uses a very high kind of, you know, philosophical, theological language. But 
What I think he's really driving at here is the importance of the body in being able to present to us the presence of another. How do we know each other's presence? It's by means of the body. When I'm standing in the room with someone, how do I know that they're there? Because I can see them. I can hear them. Sometimes I can even smell them. It's the body that proclaims the presence of the other to us. And it almost sounds kind of silly to point it out, but if we don't state the obvious, sometimes we really do miss it. Now consider then what happens when the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of the Father, born before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, when he takes flesh from the Blessed Virgin Mary and is made man, that he takes for himself a body. In this moment, God becomes visible, touchable. The creator enters into creation. The maker of the human family becomes a member of the human family. And so consider for a moment and marvel at the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the means by which Jesus communicates to us his love. Look at what he does in the gospel today. With his body, he wraps an apron around his waist and takes the body of the disciples in his hands and washes them. It becomes a tangible expression of the love of God. And then, as we move through the sacred triduum, as we go into the Garden of Gethsemane, as we move to Pilate's pal- as we move to the Praetorium, as we move to Calvary, we see the body of Christ proclaiming over and over again that he gives himself to us that he entrusts his body into the hands of the Father and into our hands. Now, we could make the argument that, you know, even before Jesus was born into the world, even before Nazareth and Bethlehem, the people of God knew that God loved them. And that's true. The signs of God's love were evident for all to see. The saving action that he worked for the Israelites as he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, as he brought them through the Red Sea, as he accompanied them 40 years throughout the desert and entrusted to them the promised land. Time and time again, God showed how much his people were his and how much he loved them. But I think it's one thing to understand someone's love, but it's another thing as well to receive from them A hug. You see, I can know my parents love me by the many different signs of their love and care. But there's something privileged about the expression of the body. Of a hug. Of a word. Of their presence. And I think now in this time of social distancing and of isolation, 
in this time when we're trying to separate ourselves from the physical presence of one another, that what amplifies within us is a desire for this intimacy with others. Something which FaceTime and Skype and Zoom just, just can't really compensate for. The joy of being able to be in one another's company. The pleasure of dining together. Of being able to kiss and to hug. Those gestures of physical affection. So today on Holy Thursday, we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist. That Christ taking bread says to his disciples, This is my body, take it and eat it. And then says, This is the chalice of my blood, drink from it and do this in memory of me. That what we have in the Eucharist is the abiding presence of Christ. The abiding sacramental presence of Christ. That though we have many signs of Christ's love throughout the world, what we have in the Eucharist is that kind of bodily intimacy which we really yearn for and crave. Christ longs to be present to us, not simply in our minds, but bodily. The pain that we experience of isolation at present speaks to us of the fact that we've been created for communion, for bodily presence. And now, as we have this painful experience of celebrating the institution of the Eucharist but not being able to receive Holy Communion, let's allow the absence of Christ's bodily presence to increase our desire and our yearning for it. So maybe today is a good day to make a holy complaint. Lord, thank you for the ways in which you graced and blessed us today. Thank you for the ways in which you've been present to us today. But Lord, it's not enough. I long to receive you sacramentally. I long to receive your bodily presence. Lord, come quickly and don't delay. At the Saviour's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ in our hearts, with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot, at this moment, receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you.
Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. And now let us accompany our Lord through his agony in the garden. Then Jesus came with them to a small estate called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Stay here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and sadness came over him and great distress. Then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Wait here and keep awake with me. And going on a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, he said, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. Nevertheless, let it be as you, not I, would have it. He came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you had not the strength to keep awake with me one hour? You should be awake and praying not to be put to the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed. My father, he said, if this cup cannot pass by without my drinking it, your will be done. And he came back and found them sleeping. Their eyes were so heavy. Leaving them there, he went away again and prayed for the third time, repeating the same words. Then he came back to the disciples and said to them, You can sleep on now and take your rest. Now the hour has come when the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us go. My betrayer is already close at hand. He was still speaking when Judas, one of the twelve, appeared, and with him a large number of men armed with swords and clubs, sent by the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the traitor had arranged a sign with them. The one I kiss, he had said, he is the man, take him in charge. So he went straight up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, My friend, do what you are here for. Then they came forward, seized Jesus, and took him in charge. At that, one of the followers of Jesus grasped his sword and drew it. He struck out at the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Jesus then said, Put your sword back, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father who would promptly send more than twelve legions of angels to my defence? But then... How would the scriptures be fulfilled that say this is the way it must be? It was at this time that Jesus said to the crowds, Am I a brigand that you had to set out to capture me with swords and clubs? I sat teaching in the temple day after day and you never laid hands on me. Now all this happened to fulfill the prophecies in scripture. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away.